Episode 47. Yeah. <laughs> the episode where Mark drinks decaf. Really? Out of a single use cup. <laughs> yep. yep. That's right. And the world keeps burning. Yeah. In fact,. I'm going to light this on fire with um, um, a propane and uh, kerosene. Yeah. No. You're right. It's a paper cup. Here I am. Breaking, breaking the law. It happens. We do our best. Things happen. Yep. I'm just going to be full transparency since you called me in on this question. I have a reusable coffee mug in the shelf that I could have grabbed before I went and got coffee this morning. Do you have one in your truck? Oh, no. Uh, you, you I don't have bike. my truck. Yeah, you rode your bike? Yeah. All right, see, that's kind of... It doesn't cool. exactly mitigate it, but, you know... doesn't mitigate it, but it, you didn't make it worse. You didn't, yeah. <laughs> you didn't spray the neighborhood with propane while you were... No, I leave that to my neighbor who who likes to barbecue a bunch. Barbecue. Hey, is it sprinkling up where you are? No, it's just misting heavily. But even that's not happening anymore. As you can see, there's uh, oh, sunlight coming through the window here. Is it on your shoulder? Does it make you happy? <laughs> yes, and I'm a big John Denver fan. <laughs> I was a huge John Denver fan. Yeah, yeah. He was kind of a stubborn guy. That's what I hear. Yeah. And he and George Burns started one of my favorite movies of all time. Yeah, we've spoken of that movie on this yeah, podcast. We, it should be remade again, I think. I don't know if it should be remade. It should be I think seen. we're having this discussion for a second time. Go back to episode four or whatever it was. <laughs> we had this discussion. <laughs> but just uh, since we're here, who would, would you cast to have an who would you cast in the roles? Wait, wouldn't it be funny to have an argument where we switch sides every time it comes up? <laughs> sure. No, we should not make God. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The movie no, again. No, it's there should be no redo on that one. Who would I cast? Well, kind of in a way, the Jim Carrey. Um, I just forgot the actor's name. Driving Miss Daisy guy. Oh, uh, Morgan Freeman. Morgan Freeman. There, you know that movie was kind of very similar. Driving uh, Miss Daisy. No, yeah, with uh, with Jim Carrey as <laughs> the old lady. <laughs> no, well, you know, with Jim what was Carrey. the title of that movie? I don't remember. I know what you're talking about. It was where he was given the power of God, right? Mighty the yeah, uh, anyway, something like that. Yeah, yeah. 
So, so who would, so would you, we're remaking the original one with, you know, with some slight modify. How, how could you possibly do that? They, those two were so perfectly cast. And so that's what, why I'm asking the question. What's her why, name? How would you cast wife, Gar? What was her name? Uh, Gar. Something yeah. Gar. Carrie Gar. Sherry. I don't remember no. exactly. Terry Gar. Terry Gar. She was so perfect. I mean, that was just a point on casting job. How could how could you get someone else to play God the way George Burns did? Well, yeah, I mean, I like it, and I still, I mean, who who would you cast? Uh, I cast me as the guy who sees God. Okay, and then Morgan Freeman is the God. He did a great job in that movie with Jim Carrey. A kind of benign, everyday person, God, <laughs> almighty God. <laughs> um, so I would cast Dave Chappelle as God and Jonah Hill as the regular guy. That'd be good. Yeah. That'd be good. But I got to say, if I was at the table where this idea came up, I'd go, don't do it. My vote is don't redo this movie. It was done perfectly. It's like someone going, hey, let's paint another Mona Lisa. Uh, let's do Star Wars done. Episode Four again. Exactly. <laughs> like, exactly. That's it. Exactly. Yeah, I get it. Oh, wow. A lot has changed since the production meeting. Really? There was a big leak. Where? Uh, in the Supreme Court, Supreme Court leaked. That sounds very sexual. <laughs> A bunch of old people leaking. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Moving right along. You know, yeah. I wonder um, when this actually goes live. I wonder where that whole thing, because I haven't really heard anything since, you know, the big link and. I don't know. Well, I think it's interesting because it's National Women's Checkup Day. Yes. Right? Yes, it is. It's also is. anniversary of the Salem witch trials. No, it's so, not the anniversary of the Salem witch trials. Well, it's the commemoration of them. That's a it's much when Salem Village renamed themselves to Danvers in That's 1992. True. That's true. You're right. You're right. It's a point of note. They were embarrassed <laughs> to yeah, have the well village. Well, they should be. A lot of the women that were tortured and burned were doulas and um, natural healers. Also, the tests they had were ridiculous. You know, put you underwater. If you drowned, you weren't a witch. If you live, you're a witch. <laughs> and we're going to burn you. Yeah. There was no way. Nothing funny about this, really. <laughs> Well, you either laugh or you cry, right? It's one of those things that's yeah. just so. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting. The, I told you about the diatribe that I got from our friend Mike. Did I? I don't think so. Oh, it was beautiful. It was this email. Because um, he and I chat primarily via email. Mm -hmm. And he sent this beautiful diatribe that was about 
the darkness of humanity. It's not going to get better. We're all fucked. Did he write it or is, was yeah. he sending you someone else? No, oh, okay. No, he wrote it. He was just saying where he's at with life. Okay. And then he said, have a nice day. Mike. <laughs> that was so funny too. It's so funny because he's, he's really a brilliant and intelligent person and his insights and his command of language are tremendous. I mean, one of the amazing things about his songwriting is he casts such amazing imagery with the way he writes lyrics. And so I can just imagine without even reading this document, the level of clarity and his, the level of insight and factual knowledge, and then a kind of emotionalism that isn't emotionalism. It's just real. It's just his, his, the way it feels for him and coming through. And then all of that still wraps up at the very end with a kind of cheeky, recognition of how humorous this is well i don't know if i don't know if he's seen humor in it but he understood how i saw humor in it because i wrote back thanks for the laugh i couldn't help but chuckle at, at that beautiful diatribe yeah yeah, isn't there like a trailer for a horror movie called Have a Nice Day? There with like is. The, yeah. And they got the, the happy face coming around everywhere. And well, yeah, the like, smiley face with a drop of blood on it. That's yeah. actually the Watchman. Isn't that the Watchman symbol? I don't know. I, I think, think so. It is. Yeah. yeah. I guess that little Have a Nice Day. That's also what I said in the money tree when. Uh, you mean your character said David. Yeah. When David's leaving the Island after they're talking about life in LA and stuff and straight job. Yeah. You got to play a mogul. I don't know if I was a mogul. Well, well you I lived did. on your own private Island. Yeah, I did. <laughs> That's a good character. We could do like another thing with that character. Rusty. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what happened how, to Rusty? When he how are you and Chris doing as far as your friendship goes? Great. You've had your ups He's and downs, brother. right? He's a brother. Well, right. a, a couple of years ago, we had a huge blowout where I yeah. thought like, okay, this is the end. But a month later, we mended that fence and it was... A, So what, how would you, how would you like frame a new story of that character, Rusty? And, you know, Rusty? It's, it's 2022 weeds legal, the money tree, you he, know, he, I would say he, cause he gets busted in the movie in the money yeah. tree. So he, I'd say he does time and he get, comes out and he does get a straight job. He gets, goes totally straight has the, wife, the two kids, you know, perfect business job, straight, straight. And he does some ayahuasca like in his forties and has this weird trip. And this goes off on this artistic creative tangent. <laughs> yeah. Cause he was a painter in the film, right? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. For those of you who don't really re remember there was an independent film made by a guy named Chris Deanstag and Greg was uh, acted in it and was, weren't you kind of an associate producer on that film? I think today I'd get a producer credit. I was um, production manager is production the credit manager. I got, but I did everything. I also helped distribute it. I was right. in charge of all the marketing and promotion when we, the film is about marijuana and it was made in the nineties or the eighties. 
It was it was released in ninety two. So it was shot it took about in five years. Yeah, late eighties. It was yeah. shot. And at that time, marijuana wasn't legal for all of you youngins who don't remember those days. And that time, you could go to jail for a joint. Yeah. And the tagline of the film was one of the greatest taglines ever. You never see a man in a gutter with a joint in his hand. Yep. Yeah. That's yep. that's pretty the good. Money tree. Yeah, yeah I think it was going to career, didn't it? Well. <laughs> <laughs> no, it didn't. I don't have a film career. Bullshit. It may not be super cool or super visible, or but the fact uh, is, you yes. have a body of work. I have a body of work, but it's not a career. Yeah. Well, okay, good. That's a good distinction. I sit corrected with my empty, <laughs> non-usable cup. Ah! Empty. The show will no longer be funny now that Mark is out of decaf. Let's cue Sammy Hager. Let's Ooh, not. this planet's on fire. Stop it. Oh, it's Satan's desire. What? He's seen the rise. He's All right, Mr. Frito. Cut it out. Frito. Cut it out, Frito. All right, so we'd like to wish Rosie Dawson and Billy Joel happy birthday today. Yeah, Rosario Dawson, man, she's Rosario. she's so amazing. She's done so many great things. She was in Batman, The Audio Adventures. She was in All Elite Wrestling, Dynamite, the TV series, <laughs> Young Rock. It's, you know what's it's, interesting it's, about her? Rocky Horror Show, live stream theater. She played Magenta, right? Wow. She's done so many She's done a variety, like she's done big budget Hollywood, and she's also done like scraping the barrel independent stuff. She's willing to just really do a whole yeah. lot of different things. Yeah. The list on IMDb is just amazing. Yeah. She's right? worked with Kevin Smith a lot. Wasn't she in um, all like his movies, Mall Rats and. Uh, I don't know about that. I'm I'm seeing Robot Chicken TV in the 2000s. I don't see anything about Kevin Smith. What about um, um, what was you know? She man. played in Josie and the Pussycats, the movie, which was fun. Silent Bob, you know, Silent. Yeah, I don't think she's in. Well, it's nothing before 1995 is on this list. So, oh, really? um, she directed one film. What was that? Really? Boundless. Oh, it's a short film. And she's got 12 producer credits. Wow. Our Worlds Collide, Split at the Root, This Is Not a War Story, Telethon for America. Uh, most of them are documentaries. Okay, we've gone on a lot about Rosio. Well, before we leave, she's one of my favorites for one reason, and she is Ahsoka Tano. What's that? Ahsoka Tano is a Jedi who is expunged from the Jedi Order. She's Anakin Skywalker's Jedi apprentice. And then right before he turns into Darth Vader, she gets in trouble with the Jedi Council and she gets purged from the Jedi Order and has to run away. But she survives and she's reemerged in this this modern series that they have going now called The Mandalorian. So she was in that and the the book of Boba Fett, because there's this crossover between them. Um, And she plays... Ahsoka Tano, who is a force sensitive Jedi Padawan, but who is never 
isn't officially a Jedi, but she's been trained and she still has her lightsabers. And she she's living in this period of time where the Emperor is hunting down all of the Jedi still. So was she in the movie? Uh, she's not in any of the movies yet. She's just in the TV shows. Okay, so because when you say that right before he became Darth Vader, she wasn't in that movie where he becomes Darth no, Vader. No, she's in a uh an, she's a character that originated from an animated TV show called The Clone Wars. Okay. And she's a young child Padawan Jedi apprentice who is Anakin's student and Anakin trains her in a live TV show. No, that's The Clone Wars and then she appears later as a fully grown adult. And but during the the four years in the the animated, did she do the voice in the animated? No, that was uh, done by a different woman. Um, Ooh, I should remember her name. She did a great job, and there was kind of an uproar when they didn't cast her in the role because she's actually uh, has her own sort of fan base and charisma. She's good, right? Well, there's good, and then there's good. Then there's Rosario Dawson good. Yeah. Yeah, and she's good. And who is that other dude that it's their birthday, Mr. Forgettable? Your favorite. Your favorite musician of all time. You put him above Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Boring. Who's that? Billy Joel. Oh, that's right. The The piano piano man. man. Ah, jinx. You owe me a keyboard. (laughs) Yeah, so... I wonder who, what movies he's been in. <laughs> Not much. Has he been in a movie? I bet you his videos are listed in IMDb. Yeah, I'm not. I could look him up in IMDb. Let me just do that real quick. Billy Joel. I hear he's also um, very stubborn. <laughs> he was in uh, something called Oliver and Company in 1988. Hmm. Let's see what else it says here. Um, he wears his hair like me. <laughs> he famously was married to Christy Brinkley. Oh, he's actually got a pretty long list, but most of it's music videos. Yeah. 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 He's not um, an actor in that sense. Right, right. He's got 42 composer credits, 285 soundtrack credits. Really? Yeah. I did not know that he was that involved in the film industry. Um, he gets writing credit on something called the Billy Joel, the essential video collection. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see what, what soundtrack stuff is he listed on? I think that's just stuff where they used his, his thing is sync sound. Yeah. Uptown girl, New York state of mind, uptown girl scenes from an Italian restaurant. Right. There's just a bunch of stuff that they used his his songs in. I heard a recent interview with him and he was talking about how come he doesn't write anymore. And he's like, I just don't want it. It's hard work and I don't want to do it. That's honest. <laughs> yeah, I thought, that's what I thought, too. I, I just like, get together with Elton John two times a year at Madison Square Garden and that's enough money to keep me going. Yeah, he probably doesn't even have to do that. Yeah, I don't know if he and Elton are doing that anymore. No, I think that's over. But um, that was my attempt at a joke. And, but um, uh, he was married to Christy Brinkley for a while, wasn't he? Yep. Yeah. He was. She was his uptown girl. And he was uptown them legs. 
Yeah. I don't know what that means, but he was shorter than her too. She did have two. Yeah. Her legs were as tall as he was. (laughs) Her legs were insured for more than his fingers. That's what she loved about him. She could just stand there and he could just stand there and things were proportionally right for what she wanted. Now you're just making up stories, Greg. (laughs) Every week we get a little glimpse into your fantasy sexual life. (laughs) It involves cunnilingus. Yeah. Yeah. Breakfast of champions. Yep. (laughs) Box lunch. I'd never heard that one before. That's pretty good. (laughs) Dinner to go. (laughs) Yeah. I'm going to circle back because Mother's Day was yesterday and today's National Women's Checkup Day. And, you know, women are pretty important in this world um, and beyond their value uh, for their sexual organs. Although without them, none of us would be here. Yeah, we did discuss last week, wasn't it? We had a discussion about transgender and sexual. Yeah, but, you know, Women's National Checkup Day, like. That means what like things that? like blood pressure, you know, more women, high blood pressure goes undiagnosed than men. And no. they bear a lot of stress. And um, who has more strokes, men or women? Oh, uh, I don't know. I think it's men. I think so, too, which shows that women can hold stress better than men. Well, either that or they have it cushier. You just said they have high blood pressure. (laughs) I'm just trying to get myself in trouble. Um, They have undiagnosed high blood pressure. Your partner's going to come through that door with a frying pan, just whack you upside your bald head. That'd be great. That'd be great. Put me out of my misery. (laughs) Put you out of her misery. (laughs) Uh, Man, that's, boy... Yeah, I was like, having a conversation with a mutual friend of ours yesterday, and one of her family members is so angry, just so upset with the world, and it's taken her to a place that one could say she's crazy. You know, there's a mental illness, and um, I don't know why I got off on that tangent. Well, there's <laughs> something about I'm assuming there's something about her, the way she communicates this information, which is significant to you. Yeah, I think when I said put you out of her misery, that triggered that element of, again, when we blame others for our misery, believing they're the. Ah, so you're equating her her discomfort and her seeing the mass psychosis that we live in as problematic as if, as if she's suffering. I think that it, yeah. Like I think the world's suffering stems primarily from the victim stance of. So here's this woman, she's having a hard time. Her blood pressure is high. She's, she appears crazy to people and you're gaslighting her. Yeah. Cause fuck her. <laughs> Happy Mother's Day. I knew you just played along like that. Just so you know, I know you better than that, Greg. Greg, you're just saying that to be funny. No, Unfortunately, it's, it's not working. <laughs> oh, she's dead now. Your mom. She heard this episode and died. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. My mom just had a heart attack with this episode. Yeah. 
Sunday's Mother's Day. Sunday was Mother's Day. Yeah, yesterday. Yesterday's Mother's Day. I don't have also Lost Sock Memorial Day. I don't have anyone to send Mother's Day cards to anymore. My grandmothers are dead. I guess I could send one to my aunt. What about any of your sisters have kids? Yeah, one of them does. Yeah, so you could just technically a mother. Yeah. Well, yes, technically she's a mother, Mark. That is how. But that she's works. not my mother. No, your mother is dead. That's right. You don't know how many moms do you, do you think you've had in your life? Well, I think what you're alluding to is this kind of spiritual mom, this kind of caretaking mom. Yeah, mother, a matriarchal mother figure. It depends if we count my current girlfriend or not. You're, you're <laughs> sleeping with your mom. That is just sad to me. No, I'm just trying to be funny with that statement. <laughs> a lot of guys do kind of replay that whole like well, absolute conflict with their mom thing. Yeah. <clears throat> no. Um, wow. Who was it who killed his dad and slept with his mom? Oedipus. Oedipus. And was yeah. killed his father and slept with his mom. Yeah, that's what I said. You said killed, killed his mom and not it. I said he, he, killed his dad and slept with his mom. Okay. Playback. Hey, Art, play back the last two minutes. <laughs> <laughs> we need to work on our technical equipment. Yeah, well, if you guys just subscribe to our non-existent Patreon page, we could afford something that would maybe help us be able to rewind. Hey, I was wondering about Patreon this morning, about whether we should just do these live streams on Patreon instead of going to Facebook and YouTube, you know, before the podcast is actually live. I think until we hit 20 subscribers, we're ahead of ourselves. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> the mendacity, the mendacity of, like you used your real name this episode. Yeah, so did you. Yep. <laughs> What's the translation of that Cyrillic anyway? That is Russian. Right? Isn't that the way, isn't what we call their writing Cyrillic? Isn't that what we call it? Is it? I don't know. I don't, know. I don't look it up. I don't call it that. And that's in honor of today being Victory Day in Mother Russia. God, I think that's pretty triggering. Russia's pretty triggering right now. But it is Victory Day, and Russia is predominant, well, is the reason Nazi Germany was defeated. Yeah, 77 years ago. The Russian front, the Russians defeated the Nazis. They were producing um, for every five Russian, for every five Nazi tanks, the Russian were producing seven. If what I read, if, if I'm remembering correctly about what I read. And it's amazing that we waited, that the allies waited two years after the invasion of Russia to help them. <clears throat> Yeah. People wonder about the Cold War. Well, there was a reason for the Cold War. Yeah, what was that reason? Because the Russians were calling out for help to England and the United States. And it seems from historians looking at the facts 
that England and the U.S. chose to let Russia bleed a bit. They liked that Russia was getting hurt. So they didn't help. They just stood by the sidelines. And... um yeah, it says psychologically the Soviets were proud and angry that they sacrificed more than anyone else in Germany's defeat. And the Red Army's losses, 7 million troops by moderate estimates, were larger than those of the rest of the Allied armies combined. Wow. And also larger than the combined military fatalities of Germany and Japan. So they really did put some flesh and bone behind defeating the Nazis. They also lost 13 million civilians because of course we were here in America and our, none of us here in the country were attacked. It was only our soldiers in the, in the field of battle who faced the danger, but in Russia, their actual citizens and the civilians were subject to the attacks of the Nazis along with other people like Poland and, and, you know, Czechoslovakia and France and stuff like that. Um, It says, a hundred thousand Brits and Americans lost their lives in, in comparison. Um, it says that they pushed the Wehrmacht, which is the German army back more than 2,200 kilometers step-by-step step, a, Hercu- a Hercu- Herculean effort in which not one Western soldier did anything. So the Battle of Kursk, 2 million Soviet and German troops clashed alongside 6,000 tanks, 4,000 aircraft. It was more than four times the size of D-Day. We helped build a bunch of that stuff. Finally, Americans recall their massive supplies to the USSR since its invasion, including 6,000 aircraft, 3,700 tanks, 210,000 vehicles, and by spring 1944 creating the impression of the Red Army's victory was fed by American industry, and the impression was unfounded. Apparently, the Russians built over 1,500 factories, and they produced one of the best war tanks. All of this according to an article from the Jerusalem Post. So if you want to look up more data, then otherwise, if I read much more, I'll read you all the whole article, and I can see Greg's falling asleep at the microphone. So I didn't it's weird, you know, Russia saved all our bacon from the Nazi scourge. <laughs> that was so twisted that my mind is still reeling from what you just said. Oh, I'm moving to Danvers. Where is Salem? Is that in Massachusetts? Yep. Hey, did you ever read Salem's Lot? Nope. Uh, the Stephen King book? No? Nope. I didn't watch Exodus. I didn't read Salem's Lot. What about... I don't date anyone that wears pentagrams. You don't what? You don't hate anyone that wears pentagrams? I don't pentagrams. date anyone that wears pentagrams. <laughs> I think your partner wears pentagrams. <clears throat> Witchy woman, see how high she flies. That was, that was when the eagles were good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when did they go bad? After Herb Peterson and um, Chris Hillman left. Really? Yeah. So you don't like the uh, Joe Walsh? No, I like all that stuff. I love Hotel California. and Joe Walsh wasn't with them in, during Hotel California, was he? 
What? Was Joe Walsh on that album, Hotel California? He was on the tour. That He joined the tour, but... He wasn't on the album. He wasn't on the recording. Right, right. The album after that has... Oh, I might be wrong about that. Let me look. I don't think he was. I recall him joining later. Like, I recall his... He had some radio hits with just Mm -hmm. Joe Walsh. You know, like, Life's Been Good to Me So Far. And then he joined the Eagles. Actually, he's in it. He he says here that he came up with part of the... um, Arpeggio that ends the song, but oh, he didn't no. get credit. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so he the ending solo was performed by Joe Walsh and um, Don Felder. Don Felder was also someone who was ousted from the band after the record Hotel California. Really? So yeah, Joe Walsh was yeah. Joe, Don Felder wrote the intro to Hotel California and a bunch of the chords. He recorded the basic tracks um, and added a 12-string guitar and a four-track recording deck in his spare bedroom, then mixed in a bass line and gave Don Henley and Glenn Frey each a copy. This is the episode when Mark read to us from the Internet. I'm just fascinated by how this stuff works. And uh, he said it was a Mexican reggae bolero. All right. Don and Glenn wrote most of the words, and all of us kind of drove into L.A. at night. Nobody was from California. And if you grow, if you drive into L.A. at night, you can just see this glow of the horizon and the images that start running through your head of Hollywood and all the dreams that you have. So it was kind of about that. Yeah. <clears throat> so back to Danvers, the symbol of the American um, inquest, right? Where the Catholic church persecuted, murdered and tortured thousands of women. What does seem like there's a human element of, if you don't understand it, kill it. Yeah. Tremendous amounts of <clears throat> institution, not institutional, but um, natural wisdom was lost as a result of the arts, the healing arts and the spiritual arts. <sighs> this is our happy episode. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Witch burning, abortions, Russians beating Nazis. It's such a good time in life. Yeah. Yeah. So, what were the highlights of Mike's horrible letter? What stands out to you? I can't remember it verbatim. I don't. So, is just, that is that COVID fog or is that just age? That's just lack of caring. But what was interesting is then I was having. Um, I don't mean that personally to Mike. I just, you know, I don't. <laughs> no, I understand. Things. You don't attach yourself to negativity. I get it. No, I don't remember things. I live in the present, okay? That's why it's called a gift, because it's the present. 
and we open it every moment with every breath. Exactly. Yeah. Some breaths harder than others. Um, but I was talking with yeah, Jonah the other night and Jonah kind of was saying the same thing without the vitriol. And he was in essence saying that he believes humanity's always going to have people who take advantage of something for their personal benefit, regardless of the impact on others. <clears throat> like the convenience of single use coffee cups. Like the convenience of say with a plastic lid. Yeah. No, it's biodegradable. No, it really isn't. Man, your internet is spotty, son. Mark has left. Are you sure? Yeah. No, I'm here. You are here. But you've, yeah. you've been freezing and cutting in and out. Well, it doesn't look like that on my end. <laughs> and there it is. I'm fine. Fuck the rest of the world. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can see and hear. I hear you just fine. Life seems comfortable to me. Yeah. <laughs> Got warm coffee in my belly. Feel good. Yeah. Um, I don't Recently, I've been hosting these up. events that for through this group called Men's Wisdom Work, and we do a men's community meeting every Wednesday morning. And the last three weeks, we've had some uh, men who are coming in from places like Liberia and South Africa, and these are Africans, um, men of color. And the way that they share the experience of their lives is such just a, a whole universe of difference from what most of what we are used to in these spaces. And it's been so rich and, and rewarding and at the same time, so heart crushing. One guy said this week that in the Liberian war, all his friends died. He doesn't have any family and no one talks to him. And he lives in this, like he has his little iPhone internet. He's zooming into this call and he's like, got no friends. He said, and he's like, we asked him a heart centered question about what his life was like. And he's, he started to cry. He's like, nobody asks me questions like that. I have no one to talk to like that. And it was just this both heartbreaking and heart expanding moment to hear him talk and to be there as a group of men to represent the possibility of, of, you know, connecting across all the different barriers of time and space through the internet. It was, it was an amazing experience. I don't think I'll forget it um, until I'm much older and I don't remember my own name. <laughs> Merry Christmas to you. Yeah. That was a personal callback um, to memory <laughs> loss. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, is he a regular of the group? Is no, he, he just started. He just started this week. And then there were a couple of other yeah, but, guys. But will he be coming back? Like, Well, I sure hope so. I asked him to. I said, hey, we have this thing called Mighty Networks, which is like a little mini social network inside our, our facility. And if you're interested, if you're a man or you identify as a man, come to menswisdomwork.com and join the portal. It's free. And we have all kinds of stuff going on there, but so he can interact with us. We can interact with him through the app. And the, the call is weekly every week on Wednesday. And 
last week there were a couple other Africans. And then this week there were three Africans in there and very articulate. Um, you could feel their hearts through all through all of the communication channel. And it was, it was truly an amazing experience. Hey, do you, do you have a good relationship with your mom? Do you feel it was a complete relationship when she passed? Pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Like there was a lot, we were very close growing up. Um, in fact, somewhat too close in certain ways, a little codependent maybe. And then later in life we had a friendship and we were allies and she encouraged me in a lot of ways. And I encouraged her. Um, and then in the last year she was, she was battling cancer and, um, I was doing some of the inner work to try and resolve some of my behavioral challenges that were showing up. And <clears throat> there was some context about the way she raised me that what raised me that I wanted to kind of talk over with her. And, um, it was during my last trip to see her alive. And there were, I remember a moment where she said, where I said to her, Hey, like this the way this was happening was not cool. And she said, just don't, I just don't have it. The energy for you and this conversation. And I was a little pissed. I was like, I need to resolve this with you before you die. Right. And she's like, fuck you. I'm dying. And I don't yeah. need, I don't have anything to resolve with you. So fuck you. <laughs> well, and, and even in that tension and that conflict, there was still like five minutes, 10 minutes later, it was still, the air was clear and we were back to, um, you know, hanging out. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That is interesting. That again, kind of goes back to that. An individual who when we feel triggered by something that is said or an action, where there's an element of us that's wounded that we're protecting. And that's what I hear in your mom's response. <clears throat> it's like what you were approaching, she wasn't in a place where she could let it go. She, you know. Well, she, no, it was more like she wasn't in a place where she had the <laughs> psychic energy to actually dredge up the trauma and try to process it with me. But what I will say is that the 4,000 other times in my life that I had was <laughs> had conversations with her like that. She showed up for me in a brilliantly beautiful way. Like I owe so much to my, to her for the, the powerful emotional intelligence and heart centered nature. That's just, the baseline for me in my experience, it's, you know, because, you know, she and I were able to literally talk about anything and, and we had so many amazing experiences together and, um, like there's so many stories, but I'll tell this one. Um, when I was in my teenage years, we had kind of a rule, which was, you know, I didn't necessarily have to come home at night on the weekends, but I had to call her first thing in the morning and let her know that where I was and what I, what, that I was okay. 
And so I had this experience where I was at this really killer party in the Berkeley Hills and I was dancing with this amazingly gorgeous woman. She was, you know, we were, we were the same age and she was training for ballet. So she was uh, just willowy and gorgeous and, and had all the shapes of a woman, but wasn't quite a woman yet. And while we were on the dance floor, I whispered in her ear, I'm like, I thought I was just going to say this funny thing and that she would shut me down right away. But I said, take me home with you. And she said, all right, let's go. And she took me home right then. And I had to this day, one of the greatest sexual experiences of my life. And I, I had to sneak out her bedroom window in the morning. So her mom wouldn't find us. And so I'm walking down the hill Sunday morning in the dawn of the summer of Berkeley and the air's clear. And I'm feeling like so good. And I realized, oh shit, I better call my mom. So I get to a pay phone because there's no cell phones in those days. And um, I call my mom and she's all, oh, there you are. And she's teasing <laughs> me. And I'm like, yeah, she's all, how was that party? And I said, it was fun. And uh, I went home with this girl and she's all, really? Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> and she said, I hope you were, you know, cautious. And is it anyone I know? And I'm like, yes, but I'm not going to tell you. And, um, part of her was proud of me for being such a potent young stud. And another part of her was like, you better be careful, young man, kind of. Right. 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 And, uh, that's interesting. I wonder if from a woman's perspective, she also had empathy for the young girl, you know, thinking of the potentials like a dude could just lay this girl and walk away and think he's all badass. Like she, she had empathy for you as a son and concern. You're her son. But I wonder if there was also an element of like, I hope my son isn't taking advantage of some young woman yeah. on the planet. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm sure that she didn't talk to me about that because she knew me. She knew that it wasn't possible really for me to do that. That's not how I made. Did you uh, and that girl do more together or was that it? Just that one wonderful night. And we were friends for a long time after that. And, um, friends there's with sort of a complication, but I'll, I'll go ahead and tell the story that summer, my girlfriend at the time had been given a trip to Mombasa, Kenya for the summer. And we had made an agreement when she left that we were going to be away from each other and anything could happen. And that we'd been together two years and been sexually active. And so maybe it was okay as long as you we were really honest with each other about it. And so there was this thing that happened in September when she got back from Kenya, where we were reuniting and it was like super sweet. And then we both told each other the stories of how we had these other encounters while we were apart. And that really changed the dynamic in our relationship, despite our best intentions. Right. We weren't able to manage the discomfort that went with that. We were just too young and didn't understand really, you know, what it would feel like for the other person to hear that, even though we both had fun experiences with another yeah. human being. Um, it, I wasn't sure about it. She wasn't happy with who I chose. We <laughs> both knew the other person. Oh, interesting. So there was this aspect of not being able to have it be anonymous in that right, sense. Right. Right. 
And that was hard. Not removed Uh, from. Well, and honestly, that fall, we stayed together and we we ended up kind of breaking up in the late fall. And, you know, very soon after, she became enamored with older men from the Cal crew team. So she, she got like, she got just old enough to go to college. She wasn't in college yet, but, and she started thinking about 22 year old super athletes. I can't say I blame her. Right. Yeah. Yeah. She also was in drama class with Timothy Hutton at Berkeley high school. Hmm. And Timothy under Hutton was in a film and his first film, he won an, um, best actor award for his, his role in that film. What was it? Um, I forget the name of the film right now. All right. All right. Um, it's a very character driven film and he was a very gifted and talented person. And, uh, turns out that they had hung out at the Renaissance fair one, one year. I wasn't really into the Ren fair, but he kind of flirted with her and she kind of flirted with him and there could have been a thing, but there never was cause she was with me. And she blamed you for ruining her life. No, she didn't. She didn't blame me at all. In fact, when we, when we talked, we talked, uh, 25 years, 30 years later, and, uh, there's still some juice there. There's still some really good connection there. Um, but she's married and I'm respectful of her space and him. And, you know, there was a time when my marriage broke up when I was like, Hmm, I wonder. Right. Right. And, and getting in contact with her and then feeling that intensity because the part of me that was immature at that point, which she wasn't like, she grew out of me. Women do that at that age, I think. And I always regretted it. Like I was hung up on her for four years after high school. Like my early twenties mm-hmm. were not like hers. I was the mm-hmm. guy who felt gun shy and couldn't get a date and was all insecure. And cause it fucked me up. Like losing her fucked me up in my head pretty good, wow. which it didn't need to. I was and the ballerina wasn't on hand to help. She was there. She was still in my social circle, but not Um, in your intimate circle. Right. Right. And I didn't pursue it because it was, it was a casual thing at the time. And for me to say more right now would sort of risk identifying her. So I don't want to do that. Okay. Is it Meryl Streep? No. She's not famous. Meryl Streep's not famous? No, the woman whom I had. I'm still close to her, too. Like, I call her on her birthdays every year still, and she's still in the area. All right. And um, so, yeah, so many great experiences. My mom was really encouraging and liberal and taught me a lot about emotional intelligence. And she also created some really difficult contexts for me as a result of different kinds of things. And parents are like that. It's like, we all get this mixed bag, right? Right. So there were parts of my, you know, she, she raised me as a single mom. I mean, my dad was around, but he wasn't, he wasn't uh, a masculine presence. Let's he put it that way. He wasn't involved in your life. He wasn't. He was. Present. No, he was. But he wasn't. It's not at the level of a, a real parent, right? It was. He was more like uh, someone I knew, right? 
and he was my parent, but he was very passive. There wasn't a lot of he, his parenting style, which also has its benefit. I'll add was very, you know, like friendly, like, well, let's, let's talk about this. And he taught me a lot about esotericism and a lot about philosophy. And we, you know, we literally smoked weed together for most of my teenage years. And, you know, it was, it, it wasn't, Hey, get your ass to practice, study for the SAT. There were some real like masculine parts that were missing in that relationship. Right. But I'm, I'm not blaming at this point. I'm just saying this was the context. And so my mom, who was a very potent woman had masculine traits and that fucked me up. Right. Like she tried to teach me what she thought a father should teach a boy, which was became later became problematic for like me. Wood whittling and fishing. No. How to climb trees. No. No. <laughs> Sorry, I brought it up. <laughs> That's just a funny thing to say. Um, yeah. So, how about you? What's your relationship with your mom? It's Mother's Day. She's still alive. Wish her a happy Mother's Day. <clears throat> yeah, I did. <sighs> you know, there's that aspect of our relationship that happened about a year ago now where it's definitely a wound. I don't see it being healed in this lifetime. It's nothing, you know, it's just like her thing with money. It just is, uh, it is, um, a unhealthy, thing that she doesn't want to deal with. Got it. What else about your relationship do you love about her? Well, I do love, and and I don't know if this is alive in her now, but I have one experience I remember where we did a family trip to Hawaii, the four children, the two parents. And um, I think it was Coming home, there was something about the flight, like things were canceled and changed, and we got on to it. And so here, the the short story is my mom taught me about the element of etherealism, that things are, there's more to life than the physical planet, the physical existence. And a real world example was this trip to Y and the flight changed. I think it might have even been a different airline. I'm not sure, but my mom was like, We're gonna get on the flight, don't worry. And there was just no logic to that statement. And we got on and I was like, What about the luggage? you know, because the luggage is oh, oh, oh. she's like, Don't worry, it's all fine. And when we got off the flight, the luggage had some miraculously been put on the plane we were on. And I was like, wow, that's wild. And I remember there was no logic to it. And I did have a couple experiences as a kid where of um like dreaming something that happened the next day and these sort of at the time, I'd say they were almost hallucinogenic experiences, but I wasn't doing drugs in those days. And, uh, experiences you're saying yeah but yeah yeah and so i think she was supportive of that realm mm. you know like that wasn't weird to her 
So you're and, saying her, sure, her astral body would sneak out and steal money from people? Is that what you're saying? No, I'm saying that I had experiences. And if I talked about it with her, it wasn't like you're lying. You're a kid making up stories. It was taken like, yeah, that's that's all real. And um, she also was very open minded with music. So her and my father, between the two of them, had a very eclectic music collection and I can remember being into folk music and Broadway musicals and rock and roll. She bought my first Pink Floyd album for me, and it was Uma Guma. So, you know, instead of your stereotypical Dark Side of the Moon or Wish You Were Here even, which would be a bit of a stretch, she, you know, like, I was fucking Uma Guma, holy Christ. She would listen to Brain Salad Surgery with me. Um she didn't like Kiss, but she appreciated that I was deep into Kiss. <laughs> you know, so, and she also taught me the acceptance of everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, her and my father, I had three foster sisters in my life where um, these young women moved into the house and lived with us, and they were part of the family. It was not, I can remember two times where my mom would pick up a hitchhiker and they'd hang out with us for a few days before they moved on. Um, her and my father were very open and accepting of people. Very welcoming. Like, I think I learned that from both of them. Of There's a place at the table for you. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, there's a place at the table for you. Mm. Wow. So those are the things I really, the creativity. I think my mom was a very creative person. And I think the problem was she didn't stick with anything. So she, she's a very intelligent woman. And, um, I think what would happen is once something was into a groove, she'd get bored and move on. So nothing ever really thrived. But I learned how to weave from her. I learned how to um, spin wool into yarn. Um, All that stuff was heavily encouraged. A lot of the creative things I did as a young man, um, puppetry skills. I was learning from this woman who was a master puppeteer, um, more encouraged by my mom. And my mom also had a way of just meeting incredible people. Um, she went to Arco Sante to learn uh, something in the realm of weaving and looms and all that. And she ended up being friends with Paulo Solari and his wife. And on a family trip again, one summer, we went around the United States in a motorhome and we stopped off at Paula Solari's personal residence in Arizona and hung out there for a while. And when Est was a big thing, she knew Werner Erhard and I met Werner Erhard and worked with his son for a little bit. And so she just has a way of kind of, um, Connecting with people. Yeah, connect. Yeah. She's, she's an, yeah. 
incredible She's a weaver of context. Yes. And unfortunately, I think at this stage in her, in her life, um, she's a, the, the financial thing. And also she's horrible in personal intimate relationships. Just doesn't take responsibility for her peace in that. Do you think that's Werner Earhart's fault? No, I think that's hers. She owns that, huh? Well, she doesn't own it, but she should. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, what occurred to me while you're talking was that this idea that you think that it's not possible to have a meeting of the minds in this lifetime, maybe you should try a mushroom trip with her and see what happens. Recording stopped.